Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. This is episode number 70. Pretty cool, actually, that we got to episode number 70. And I'm going to do a solo podcast today. I am going to answer... Just a couple of questions. It might be a slightly shorter one. We'll see how we go. I have one interesting question that I think everyone can probably have their own take on. So that is around what sports would you encourage your kids to play or your potential kids? I don't have kids to play to help them develop into great uh, into a great all round mover. So I am going to try and answer that question. Depending on the day that you asked me, I've probably answered in a different way, but I think it is an interesting question to think about, like the development of kids, what maybe I was missing as a child, what other people were missing as kids, and what I I actually have thought about this in the past as well. And I've had these probably conversations with different people in the past, and I'm open to being convinced in different ways around that one. And then the other one is if you're stuck for time in clinic and your assessment skills aren't that great, so you're spending a bit longer on that portion of the session. You don't have enough time maybe to coach people through the movements that you would like to coach them through. Do you have any advice on that around helping them be more successful doing their homework? So I'll chat around just a couple of tips for that as well. And maybe that is to do with not just in clinic, but coaches in general, getting people to do their homework or getting people like, how do you choose what homework to get them to do? So those are the two. There's another one that I may or may not get to we'll see i won't even read it out in case i couldn't be arsed answering it at the end we'll see not not that the person that asked it yeah i just put my foot in it there but it's not that it's a bad question we'll just see so first question what sports would you encourage your kids to play to help them develop into a great all-round mover and okay so I think it's important to not just think about it them like what sports they're going to be playing to help them develop into a great mover, but also help them develop as a great person in general. Playing sport or let's just talk about like movement practices, not just sports. You're going to get different benefits outside of just movement from socially and learning all, in all different ways. So if you break it down into ball sports... So like team sports, let's say, so basketball, rugby, football, Gaelic football, hurling, soccer, American football, all this stuff. Then you break it down into like track and field or you have a separate category like track and field. You have a separate category, which is like striking and grappling, mixed martial arts, those type of things, taekwondo, karate, all those type of sports. Then you have like dance and gymnastics, sports like that. And then you have like miscellaneous let's say things like parkour and stuff like that so those are the ones that like initially have come to my mind I'm sure there's a lot that obviously there's a lot that I haven't mentioned obviously but I feel like for the most part these are the most popular categories of sport and then there's non-team sports that are still ball sports maybe like tennis and golf and things like that as well so maybe that's another category actually so let's try and break down what might be beneficial for a child boy or girl or anything else that they want to identify it doesn't matter but let's just think about okay what would be most beneficial for them as they as they develop as they grow and maybe as they 
maybe they want to specialize into a certain sport as they get older, maybe as a profession, maybe just to be like playing that sport for a semi-professional or an amateur level, or maybe they just want to stay a generalist, generalist, but what would be most beneficial for them? Obviously, you could say, why don't you just do a mix of all of those things? But maybe that's not quite realistic because there's an opportunity cost and there's obviously time constraints as well. I suppose for me growing up, I played a mix of everything so I played a lot of Gaelic football I played a lot of hurling I played a lot of soccer actually so that's what we call it in Ireland I soccer was probably my favorite sport growing up I would say up until the age of maybe 13 or 14 I played rugby for about a two to three year period I I didn't do any striking I didn't do any boxing kickboxing any martial arts I didn't do any gymnastics I didn't do any track and field nothing like that so I only played ball sports and team sports pretty much as far as I can remember and I did a bit of swimming as well actually I put in swimming maybe as another category I think first off a team sport with a ball is going to be number one for me I think it probably doesn't matter too much what you choose. I think like you could have soccer, you could have Gaelic football, you could have hurling, you could have basketball. Those are probably like the top four, let's say, that I would probably, if I had a child growing up in Ireland, probably not a whole lot of basketball. Although I did play a bit of basketball in primary school as well. But I would probably have them playing Gaelic football, hurling and soccer which most kids in Ireland probably do who are interested in playing sports. So I probably have those three things, a mixture of those three things. They're going to be played at different parts of the season. Great thing with those things. One, you're getting a massive mix of movements. So there's sprinting, there's longer distance running, there's change of direction, acceleration, deceleration. You have to deal with someone else's body. So there's body positioning, manipulating a ball, manipulating someone else's body. There's spatial awareness. There's huge tactical elements to the game in terms of there's different positions that you can play there's different types of bodies that you're going to encounter there's the fast guy there's the slow guy there's the strong guy there's the tall guy there's the small guy or girl there's the very physical player there's the bitch of a player there's all these different things so you're going to encounter so much in in ball in team sports like that that i think it's they're probably like invaluable and an absolute must to have as part of a movement development practice as a as a younger person as a child and the good thing with those sports is you can have them for life I think particularly basketball and soccer actually I think a big failing of Gaelic games Gaelic football and hurling I was going to say Gaelic hurling Gaelic football and hurling is there's not really an element where okay I've retired from playing at a serious level and I'm going to keep playing. There is like a junior level, which people laugh at, where it's like the older fat guys, but very likely, like when you go and play that, that at that level, when you're in your mid-30s or your 40 or whatever, like they are going to try and cut your head off if they have a hurley in their hand. So that's, a, that's an issue. But if you go and play a game of five-a-side soccer or you go and play a p- game of pickup basketball, it seems like you can play them sports at a very casual level for the rest of your life whereas that's definitely missing in in Gaelic football and hurling probably because they're played on a bigger pitch the ball travels further it involves more things so the thing the very thing that makes our Irish sports so exciting 
and probably some of the best sports in the world is also probably the thing that detracts and stops them being accessible when you start to hit your 40s, 50s, 60s and so on because they're very physical. They require big pitches and they don't work as well in small-sided games as soccer and basketball do where you can have one-on-one, two-on-two. Not really. You can't really do too much of that with hurling or Gaelic football. So I think having a child do a team sport and be part of a team and develop all those movements that come around with that and the cognitive tasks and what's happening at their eyes and what's happening with a ball is the most is the best thing you could do best bang for your buck by far now where I felt like I missed in my development massively was track and field I would definitely if I had a child now whatever age let's say five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way up, whatever age, I would love them to be doing track and field. And if I had to choose in track and field, I would have them sprinting. That's probably number one. And I might have them doing some throwing, but I would ideally like them to just be exposed to all different types of track and field, but definitely sprinting. Because no matter what, if you train sprinting, it's going to benefit every single other sport that you could do. So if you're a soccer player and you train to sprint, you're going to be faster for soccer. We all know speed is like pretty much no matter what the sport is, it is the skill that everyone wants more of. It is the thing that everyone wants more of. And it's also the thing that everyone's afraid of. So I think sprinting is a massive thing. Your gait cycle is going to be absolutely huge and learning to sprint really well from a young age and just even outside of the technical aspects of it, learning the technical aspects of it, getting exposed to just running really fast or as fast as you can run a couple of times a week is a really big deal. The other one is throwing something obviously is a big part of what makes humans to be able to pick something up and throw it as hard as you can. And that is a massively sprinting and throwing are two big fascial movements where it's coming it's the full body it's all about energy transfer sprinting and throwing i would have as a big part of it but if i could only choose one in track and field it would be sprinting that's going to carry over forever that's going to be so good for your heart for your muscular development for your tendons you're getting your training plyometrics when you're sprinting it's just amazing and i massively that's one big regret in my development i can never i will never forget one of my one of my friends came into our primary school, which is, I can't remember, elementary school or whatever you call it in America. And he, he actually came to our school maybe in like third class or something like that. So maybe, I don't know the ages, maybe like nine, eight or nine or 10 or something like that. Yeah, probably nine or 10 or something like that. He came into our school, he joined our school and he was really fat and small and he was really slow and he started doing track and field and I have a vivid memory and I don't have that many vivid memories of my childhood, but he started doing track and field. Uh, he started basically going sprinting, let's say, with the local athletics club and within six months, he was the fastest kid in our class and I actually had the wherewithal at that stage to recognize that and say, what the fuck is this guy doing? Because I wanted to be fast because I was like the fifth or sixth fastest kid in my class and my brother who was four years older than me he was like the fastest kid in school he was faster than everyone else he won every school sports day gold medal my sister was also probably the fastest person in her class so whatever reason like the genes were there but I wasn't able to transfer it over quite as well I wasn't the slowest kid but I definitely wasn't the fastest kid and 
I can remember that guy, how quickly he changed, he changed. And he looked like, like my memory of him looking back is like looking at an Olympic level sprinter, the way his technique changed and everything. And he was just so efficient within a few months. So I can remember saying to my mom, I want to go to down to this track and field group. And I can remember we got in the car one night, she brought me down. We sat in the car outside and I didn't go in. I bitched out. I said, no, I don't know if he's there. I don't know. Do I go in that door? I don't know what's going on with the group. I don't know who the coach is. And I just bitched out. I didn't go in. And I never I never went back because I just didn't get out of the car. Actually, funnily enough, I talk about that now with like getting to jujitsu. I just have to go down and get out of the car. Maybe that's why I, I, just, I just made that connection. Maybe that's why I speak about all, that all the time. I'm just successful. I don't have to do anything else except for get out of the car and walk in the door. And that means I'm going to be successful for the most part. Now, obviously, you can have good and bad sessions, but maybe I just had a bit of counseling with myself there and realized why that connection was important. So I would definitely be training with a kid sprinting. I think it's irreplaceable. And to learn that early, huge deal, massive advantage. And I know some, I know one one kid, a couple of kids that not kids, like teenagers who are at a level where they have a potential now to go to like maybe an English Premier League club, sign and become a professional footballer. And they're doing their gym work. They're doing their like all their, their football skills outside every day, obsessed with all of that. And I can't, I find it hard to believe that they, they don't, still don't as part of their like academy, which is a really big, very professional type of academy. They still don't practice sprinting and it's just, and one of the kids is not, he's not the fastest kid in the world. He's certainly not slow. He moves well, but he could be faster, particularly for the position that he wants to play. He could be, and he needs to be faster and he's doing his gym work. He's getting really strong. And he's a, he's a very technical player, very tactical, very tactically astute, but he doesn't sprint well enough. He's not fast enough. And what better way, and I don't, it's hard for me to believe that people haven't, his coaches haven't said this, why aren't you, or why aren't we practicing sprinting? It doesn't make sense. So definitely a ball sport at, with a team and definitely sprinting. And then a bonus would be throwing, like javelin, something like that. I think you could get that elsewhere, but I think throwing could unlock another level of athleticism and the power that you have to learn to generate and how you transfer that energy and also obviously upper limb stuff and stuff like that. It's going to be really a really big deal, but it's not a non-negotiable. I think sprinting is a non-negotiable early years. I think a team sport is a non-negotiable. I think throwing, not quite, but definitely could be good. Hey guys, David here. Just a very short break from the show. Just wanted to remind you, DGR Interactive, our members-only platform. Uh, there's 800 coaches and therapists uh, learning with us every week in there. It's pretty much like our own little mini university where there's over 200 videos that breaks down everything about movement that you can imagine. Practicals, theories, case studies, uh, biomechanics, rehab, strength training, plyometrics, absolutely everything each by body part and all that stuff so if you're interested in movement you want to get better results with your clients and ultimately have a better career then i strongly recommend you join us so i'll put the link in the show notes for dgr interactive the next like tier so i don't think we've exhausted a kid yet i think like you're getting maybe two or three sessions a week in a team sport and i think you're getting some sprinting once a week 
let's say once, let's say twice. I don't think they're exhausted yet. I think they're absolutely fine. The other thing that I would consider, or actually uh, the other thing that I now think is a non-negotiable is fighting, is that they're proficient at fighting and like self-defense but to me self-defense is fighting it's not some bullshit self-defense techniques it is striking it is learning to strike and learning to grapple and I think of myself as a kid I was in fights not that many but I was definitely in a few I have seen fights I have seen the respect in like school and stuff that the people who who can fight I've seen the respect that they garner by ver- by not needing to fight, by people just knowing that person is dangerous or has potential to do harm and I'm going to leave them alone. And I think that is very important. I really do. And I think being able to be having not just the ability to fight, but the confidence to know if I need to, I could actually defend myself and I could do damage to this person if I need to. I think as a kid, that's very important. I was in a situation once, I got robbed, I got my phone robbed from me from two guys, and I didn't fight, I just left and take it. I was probably 13 or 14 at the time, it was very dark, it was in a bit of a dodgy place, and I let them take it, and if I fought, I could have won. I probably wouldn't have won because there was two of them. I probably made the right decision, but what if they decided to fight me? And in that moment, you don't know what could happen. And I had no real ability to defend myself in my class in school. Maybe I was just by virtue of being semi-athletic, I probably could have won a fight against 50% of the kids in my class, maybe 60%. And I would have lost a fight against the other 50%. In my adult life, I know I can't fight particularly well. And I know this is a bit like, I I don't know how to describe it, but... What if just someday someone decides for whatever reason they're on drugs, they're they just snap, they don't like the look of you, they are a weirdo, they're homeless, who they need money, they're gonna rob you for whatever reason, I don't know, that someone just decides I am going to try and hurt this person, kidnap this person assault this person, rape this person, all these other things, man or woman and you don't have the ability to defend yourself, then that is an issue. And whether you want to acknowledge that or not, it absolutely is an issue. And if I had a kid, I absolutely would want them to be proficient at fighting. With jiu-jitsu now, I see that, I see some quotes and stuff like how important jiu-jitsu is for learning how to, like in a street fight, there's a weird quote that goes around and I've seen it that 90% or something of street fights go to ground. So this is why jujitsu is so important. I think that's a bullshit percentage. I really think that's a massively bullshit made up percentage and probably made up by like the Gracie family or someone like that to try and promote jujitsu so that they can make more money from it. That is a bullshit. I've seen a lot of fights in like in town over the years drunken fights in schoolyards i've seen a i've seen a fair few i've been part of a few and i've seen a fair few and what i will say is most fights do not go to ground as far as i'm concerned if they go to ground it's because someone has been punched and knocked onto the ground most fights are not as far as i can see getting into a grapple where the grapple is being brought to the ground don't now obviously there is 
a decent percentage are. But as far as I can see, most fights are won and lost by someone getting an absolute punch in the face and get knocked out or get knocked onto the ground and then the person can kick them in the head or jump on them and beat the shit out of them from a top position so as far as i'm concerned as i think striking is the most important so i would like my kid to be proficient at striking and I think the best form of striking is not boxing. I think it's probably kickboxing or Muay Thai or something like that where you can actually punch and kick. I remember seeing a guy in town one night. When I say town, if you don't know what town means, town in town means in Ireland, if you're going to town, it means you're going on the beer in town. It's not like I'm going to town to shop. It means I'm going to town to go on the beer and not just have one or two. You're actually going on the town. I'm hitting the town hard. So... I saw a guy one night who was walking after, it was like a bully walking after a guy and he was marching up the street saying, give me a chip. He had a hot chip, if you know what that is, like chips, salt and vinegar from a bag, cooked chips. And your man, the bully was saying, give me a chip, give me a chip, give me a chip. It was like two o'clock in the morning, walking up the street after a guy, the young fella looked only like 16 and he was backing away. Next thing, he threw this roundhouse kick at the bully. And he like clipped him on the nose, just, it was, it happened in a split second, just hard, just like an absolute flash. And the bully literally turned around and sprinted off. (laughs) And in that moment, that was the first time I've seen someone throw a kick like that in a street fight type of situation. And I was like, holy fuck, you really don't know who you're coming up against. Never start a fight on someone. Even if they look scrawny and skinny, this fella, if he wanted it, like it was a warning shot. If he wanted to, he was kicking that guy in the temple and that guy was lights out. So I would really love my kids to be proficient in striking. And I think kick and punching is better than just punching but this brings up the issue of concussions and head injuries and stuff like that so obviously as a child you do not want to get hit in the head or as a teen or an adult you do not want to get hit in the head so are you practicing a fight sport a striking sport but are you learning to defend yourself, learning to strike, but as a result, you're also in training, you're getting hit in the head. That is a massive issue. And I know like it's getting better and better with regards to sparring shouldn't be done like very often and it shouldn't be done at a high level. You shouldn't really be getting hit in the head. You're wearing headgear and stuff like that. Still, I think you shouldn't be getting hit in the head at all. Like literally 0% of the time should you be getting hit in the head especially as a child, especially as anyone, but especially as a child, your brain is developing. You see some videos online sometimes where there's kids like six or seven years old doing Taekwondo or boxing or something like that. They have big, heavy gloves. They have headgear and they're messing and they are getting hit in the head. And it is funny, but also this is causing damage to your brain. What the fuck are you doing? I would like my, I don't know the answer to this, but I would love my kids to be able to learn striking, kickboxing or Muay Thai or something like that in particular. But I don't know, uh, but not getting hit in the head. So maybe it's been done with a bag, which means that they're not going to be as good at it as they could be if they were sparring, but maybe it's good enough so that they can protect themselves. So something like that, I think is important. I do think you need to learn grappling as well. So wrestling or jujitsu or something like that. And I do think that there's a massive 
benefit with regards to, and I know I've gone off track because the question was like, how would you encourage them to be a great all around mover? But as it, it, boxers move unbelievably well kickboxers move unbelievably well so i know i've slightly gone off track when i'm talking about making sure that they're proficient so that they can defend themselves but also you're developing some really good movement and if you think about striking sports and what i spoke about with the javelin there i would if i had to choose someone to be able to throw a really good punch or throw like a javelin or something like that i would throw the i would choose the punch even just with regards to movement wise i think you're going to get no i'm not going to pin them against each other actually it doesn't make sense to pin them against each other but i just think you're going to get a lot of similar things with the throwing versus the punching and i think the punching is going to be more beneficial in or potentially more beneficial in more cases grappling i think is important obviously some percentage of fights do go to the ground so you need to be able to grapple maybe you don't want to punch someone maybe you want to choke them out or something like that put them to sleep that might be a good option and for example there's an eight-year-old kid down in our jiu-jitsu club and he's brilliant i'm obsessed with him (laughs) i'm obsessed with not in a weird way i'm obsessed with watching him because that's an open match he has his little gi on and he just walks around and he goes up to the purple belt or the brown belt or the black belt or whoever and just gives him a little nod and they start rolling and he's like hunting for arm bars triangles kimuras everything he's rolling around he's he's doing sweeps he's on his neck he's rolling he's doing every single thing imaginable he know he's learning how to use his strength how much is enough how much is too much what another body feels like how i manipulate another body so i think He's developing a ton of great movement, awareness, awareness of his body, awareness of space. And he's also learning to defend himself at the same time. So I think there's, and there's also a discipline factor with learning a martial art. And there's an ego factor and stuff like that, where you're learning to not be a dickhead, hopefully. Hopefully, it seems like that, at least with martial arts. I know that's the old kind of tale around just leave your ego at the door if you're going into a martial arts club or something like that i think you're going to get some of that which you're definitely going to get some of that so learning to not be a dickhead i think that's important and learning how to fight so that you don't have to fight and learning that if you have to fight here's how much force i can use so the only issue with that is i think that kid is starting to look like he's literally transforming into jujitsu so he already moves with a lot of external rotation in everything he does which is if you look at jiu-jitsu it's just flexion and external rotation all of the time they don't need they don't use extension and internal rotation that much at all because a lot of it is done on your back and i would so if i did have a kid that was training a lot of jiu-jitsu like that like a few days a week at least I would definitely make sure that was being paired with some sprinting as well so that they're getting, they're learning to use their internal rotation and adduction and extension. So I would make sure that they're standing upright. Obviously, they're going to be standing upright and playing, but sprinting is probably the perfect foil for jiu-jitsu. They're literally the exact opposite of each other as far as I'm concerned. Now we have a team sport. We have track and field, which I'm really going to narrow down to sprinting, but I would love them to try a bit of everything. We have a striking, so kickboxing, and maybe some jiu-jitsu now i may be going overboard here but all of these things they don't have to do all of the time for all of the rest of their lives but at least some of it will be good so now we're left with something like gymnastics 
my kids would probably do gymnastics because my brother owns a gymnastics club i've coached in the gymnastics club his son his two-year-old son my godson is in basically he's being reared in the gymnastics club and like he moves really fucking well he's two he's already like hanging off the rings hanging off the bars he's rolling he's doing tumbles forwards backwards he's he's doing all that stuff so he moves way better than basically any other two-year-old that you're going to see he's way stronger as well he has a little six-pack on him so he's built a lot of strength he's probably going to keep a hold of like his flexibility so i think gymnastics could be great particularly for boys to be honest because boys will tend to get a lot tighter when they get towards their teens and a lot of people go and try and stretch when they get older to try and regain lost flexibility but you're probably better off just not losing it in the first place so you're definitely better off not losing it in the first place the issue i have with gymnastics is as it gets to a competitive level uh, it, it, it can become an issue because there's such demand on flexibility and people end up stretching a lot especially through them younger ages they end up stretching i've seen it i've been part of it and they kids end up a lot of kids end up with issues the ones that make it true obviously that you see on your television they're fucking animals they're absolute animals a lot of the kids i see end up probably stretching too far and most of the time i think the stretching is done really poorly so i probably wouldn't want my kid to get to a competitive level and competitive doesn't even it's not even like that doesn't even mean a high level i would just want them to be exposed to maybe a little bit of gymnastics but i think the benefits that you could get in gymnastics you're probably going to get in jujitsu and in a striking in some kind of striking with kickboxing and grappling so with kickboxing for example like you're probably going to keep some flexibility in your hips um, so I don't think they would need to do gymnastics and a striking sport and jujitsu. Obviously, in jujitsu, you're getting a lot of the rolling and that type of stuff, which you get some of that in gymnastics as well. So I I don't think you would need to do those two things or those three things. I think you could choose probably between jujitsu and gymnastics and maybe kickboxing and grappling if you're just talking about pure like development of good movement then you could choose but if i was going to choose i would much prefer my kids were again proficient at striking rather than if i had to choose between like striking and gymnastics i would choose striking again i'm placing a massive importance on the ability to defend themselves and the confidence that it comes with that i think i definitely probably definitely probably that doesn't make sense but i definitely had some anxiety some of the time when i was younger going into town as a 13 year old having 10 euro in your pocket and your phone and worrying are you going to get robbed and going out and out in the town when you're having a few beers there is that thing at the back of your head all the time you could get punched here and i do have the ability to defend yourself and yeah maybe maybe you don't so i think that's important there's that like jordan jordan peterson quote of a harmless man is not a good man dangerous man something like a good man is a dangerous man who chooses who doesn't need to be dangerous or something like that he has control so i think i know some of you don't like jordan peterson that's fine i think that's a brilliant quote i think you want the ability to be dangerous if you need to and 
a strong man or woman, strong like mentally, physically, emotionally, is someone who is not just fucking useless. It's someone who has the ability to do something if they need to. They just choose not to. So I would love my kids to be have the potential to be dangerous if they need to, rather than, okay, I need to do something in this situation and I'm not able to. So I definitely wouldn't like them to do that, to have that. Okay, so then the last kind of one then is parkour, which I can actually remember sitting down in, I know where I was, in Waterford, and I can remember waiting for a bus with a couple of friends, just hanging out on a Saturday. And I can remember seeing guys that were from our school that were, yeah, we would consider them, and we definitely did at the time, consider them like geeks or nerds or something like that, because they didn't play team sports. They didn't play football with us or rugby with us or anything like that. And they were doing what I now know as parkour parkour they were climbing up fucking lampposts jumping off stuff and we were like what in fuck's name are these lads playing at like we were just laughing at them and now i was like fucking hell that was amazing what they were doing they were learning how to climb learning how to manage collisions how to yield how to overcome how to build strength, get tendon development. They were doing amazing things. They were also having fun. They were problem solving. They were figuring out what their body could handle and what they couldn't handle. Parkour would be, or some like some version of parkour, free running, all this stuff. It would be pretty unbelievable. It would be pretty class for any child to have some development in that. Because also it's likely that it's it that means their playground is basically anywhere and they're going to be very strong and they're going to be able to manage collisions and they're going to be able to solve problems and they're if you just all you need to do is type in like parkour into youtube or something like that and that it speaks for itself how well those people actually move so we've gone through a lot of things rugby i back to the team sports i wouldn't let my kid play rugby or not that i wouldn't let them like I, I'm not going to be, and it's funny that I even say that. Like I'm the type of person that, if you said that to me, if I, if you said ten years ago to me, you'll be on a podcast in ten years' time saying you wouldn't let your kid play rugby, or you'd be you're afraid like with your kid of going doing a striking sport that they're going to get hit in the head. I would say, what the fuck, go and fucking do it. It'll be fine. Don't be a bitch, basically. And now I've completely flipped. So I think. Maybe it's just a personal bias, but I my worst concussion happened playing rugby. I got elbowed in the eye, and I know it's a bit of a freak accident, but also it's not that much of a freak accident. The rugby players that you see now, like the amount of things that are coming out, and this might be the same for American football, which I don't know as much about, but the amount of shit with concussions that's coming out now, I know they're trying to change the rules. I know they're working hard to do that, but in it, fair enough in American football because they were actually tackling with their heads you do not want your kids tackling with their heads so fair enough they've taken out that rule and people aren't doing that anymore but in rugby it's not that they were tackling with their heads it's that it's and I know they're trying to lower the tackle and all this stuff but to be honest I think rugby is fucked as a sport because how how do you stop these collisions happening? My job is literally to be six foot seven, 130 kilos and run as hard. There is no incentive for me to try and at that size to try and run around you. My job is to run through you if I'm that t- size and that type of person. I just can't see 
and every single rugby game you watch now there is a red red card for some illegal collision that was a complete accident it's impossible to cut out of the game if you're going to try and cut it out of the game it's not the same game anymore it's not rugby anymore so i just don't think that i would be comfortable with my kid playing rugby based on what i've seen what happened to me and based on like the opportunity costs of just go and play hurling you're going to get rugby was very helpful for me i have to say with regards to how it helped me with other sports it brought out a level of the aggression in me that i was definitely missing when i was playing hurling and soccer and gaelic football i was way too passive when i was playing those sports and i suffered i wasn't playing well as a result probably i was definitely playing below my ability and rugby changed that it brought out a level of aggression and it stopped me being as passive so it definitely helped me but I just don't feel like the rewards are there for a kid of mine to play rugby unless obviously if they really wanted to but for what I know about head injuries I think the risks are probably too high and yes you could say the risks are high with everything don't come at me with that bullshit or you could get you something could happen walking across the street of course it could but also if you walk across the street with your eyes closed something is more likely to happen so we can mitigate risk and I think rugby I personally think it's a bit too risky Hey guys, David here. Just a quick break from the show. Wanted to remind you about our new Foot and Achilles program. It's over 1,000 users now. And if you're not one of those, then you definitely should be. There's so much learnings in there, helping people get from kind of sore, inflexible, immobile, not very strong feet, all the way up to feet that can handle high levels of impact, very strong, very mobile. And you learn so much along the way, you get lifetime access. So absolutely, if you're interested in movement, I honestly think this is a non-negotiable program that you should have access to. So check out the link in the show notes for the foot and Achilles program. Especially when you can get all these benefits from just playing other sports. And probably, to be honest, like more benefits from other sports. Like there's more demand on skill development really in hurling or basketball the amount of skills that you need to develop to be really good at those versus fucking half the rugby players now obviously some rugby players are unbelievably talented but half the players are just big fucking lumps and they have no skill they literally don't even they haven't passed the ball in 10 years they literally if the ball comes to them they just grab it and they just whack into someone else now again now look yeah fair enough the argument against that is okay what if you had a child that was bigger and like that was the sport that they were suited to fair enough i can understand that argument i would probably still have a counter argument but i won't go into it now so for me what would encourage kids to play to help them develop into a great all-around mover a a team sport like soccer basketball something like that i think non-negotiable absolutely sprinting non-negotiable and then in terms of self-defense i think kids will benefit massively and adults probably from learning to defend themselves so i think like and other people know much more about this than me but for me most fights don't go to ground they go to ground once someone's been punched in the head a lot of fights do go to ground but most don't so i would like my kid to be good at probably kickboxing so because maybe you can just hit someone a calf kick kick and they go to ground and you can run off so my tie or something like that these calf kicks and different types of kicks you could just absolutely bend someone over by doing one of those so i think i would like them to be proficient at that but i also i don't want to get hit in the head jiu-jitsu or grappling for learning not just learning to defend yourself on the ground but learning to if you look at videos of wrestlers 
fucking hell. I'm not talking about WWE wrestlers now. Obviously, a lot of them are great movers because they probably were wrestlers in college and stuff. But proper wrestlers, they are some of the most explosive athletes you will ever see. So I think grappling, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, that stuff is really good for learning about your body. Gymnastics, great option, but just don't let them, not don't let them, but I wouldn't encourage them to go too far down the competitive side of it because it can end up, it depends on the club and the court coach, of course, but they will get stretched into oblivion and will stretch through some of their ligaments. And I've seen a lot of gymnasts who they look amazing and stuff and they end up going doing CrossFit because they can access all these deep positions. They're not doing gymnastics anymore as they get a bit older and they, all the CrossFit people are so impressed with them. But if you speak to the gymnasts, they'll tell you often they feel like shit because they have all this range that they did so much passive stretching, let's say as a child that, and now they, they are strong as well, of course, but they have a lot of issues and this is from seeing a lot of these people so they can have a lot of issues it doesn't have to be the case don't get me wrong is Simone Biles an absolute animal yes but it I think it depends on the club and the coach so I wouldn't be too keen on them getting to the competitive side of things and then parkour I don't know any like parkour coaches in a round or anything like that but to encourage your kids to do a bit of that stuff amazing the other one is probably tennis I think tennis could be brilliant if you were interested in them like if you had the choice between tennis and golf, you're probably choosing tennis. Obviously, it's a more more dynamic sport, much more variety in terms of movement. You're still getting some of that like throwing or striking action as you serve, as you hit the ball in different ways. You're getting lots of that stuff happening. So yeah, tennis is a great option as well. So maybe I went on a bit too long about that, but I would love to hear your answers there. So maybe if you can, maybe you want to email me or something like that or comment on the YouTube video, that would be cool actually. Let me know. Let's say you could only pick three. Let me know what three you could pick, you would pick, and why. And I don't ever ask you to comment, but I would like you to comment because, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so next question. If you're stuck for time in clinic and your assessment skills aren't up to scratch yet, you're spending a lot of time in that portion of the the session, maybe you're doing some manual therapy as well, any advice for giving homework so you don't have time to coach the movements as much you're spending time maybe doing manual therapy assessment chatting with them but you still want them to do their homework a couple of movements at home i think rather than trying to half spend 30 seconds half coaching the real answer here is the real answer the long-term answer is obviously structuring your session in a way where the largest part of the session is spent on working on movement that is what i've done that is that is the play 100 percent. that is the play i understand people use manual therapy i don't have any issue with that maybe manual therapy is a big portion of what your job is but you would like to get better at coaching movement and dive a little bit more into the rehabby and the yeah, exercise side of things that just means you need to cut the manual therapy part of the session short by three four five minutes and you need to be very clear on the assessment section then and think okay what's the biggest bang for my buck movement that i could give someone to help them get the most gains based on what the biggest elephant on in the room is what's the biggest issue that they have what's the movement that i could use to help them and what do i think that they're going to be most successful with so that's the long-term play 
is cutting all the other shit short and focusing on the thing that's going to make the biggest difference. But in the short term, you're saying your assessment skills aren't up to scratch and you're struggling like you're maybe it's just a time management thing or something like that. But in the short term and in the long term as well, this this counts. I would say have some go to movements. And actually, I'm not even going to say go to. I would say have some can't lose movements that you go to that even if you don't get time to coach them in clinic or in the session with someone, you can shoot them over an email. And this is the key point with a video of the movements. All right. So you should be, you can use, of course, if you have our programs, LBB, UB core, LBB2, the foot one, you can, you, you should have the YouTube videos for all those. So you can use my exercise library exercise database that's what a lot of people use and they will just shoot over their clients okay here i want you to do this exercise from ubb they won't say from ubb or whatever they'll just say do the neck relaxation from ub from the next section do that breathing and do the arm spirals from ubb so here's two videos i want you to follow these and if you have someone with a neck issue those are what i would consider probably can't lose movements can't lose you need to tick a few boxes for it to be a can't lose movement. Box number one, it's you haven't got time to coach it in clinic with them. So that means that you actually don't know, does this exercise have the, not have the potential, does this exercise, is this exercise painful for them or not? So box number one on can't lose is, is this exercise going to be painful for them or not? And even more importantly than is it going to be painful, is it going to cause, is it going to cause any damage or anything like that? Is it going to cause, no, let me rephrase that. More important than is it going to be painful, is it going to cause a flare-up? Because a bit of pain is fine, but if you cause a massive flare-up, that's an issue. So for someone with lower back issues, let's say, they might feel like they're quote-unquote flexion intolerant. You might feel like that. Now, flexion could be the very thing that their body needs, but I wouldn't call a flexion-based exercise then a no-lose or a can't-lose exercise. If you haven't got a chance to check it in clinic, then I wouldn't be just saying, okay, here's an exercise for you to try on your own at home. So I would be careful sending someone in that situation an exercise that loads them into flexion because it could flare them up and now you've either lost a client or you have a very unhappy client. So I wouldn't consider that a can't lose exercise. For and Now, now there is no can't lose exercise because fucking anything can flare someone up. But box number one is for a can't lose, I don't have the chance to coach it. But if I send this to them afterwards, is there a high probability that they will be able to, number one, do this without causing more pain or a flare-up? Box number two, actually do the exercise, be successful in following the steps. So it's that depends on the client, of course, like how aware they are, how available they are for taking on cues. And... Box number three is actually give movement, some good quality movement into their body. So those are the boxes that I would tick with regards to lower back issues. So instead of it being, let's say someone is, let's say someone is, you feel like someone has a lower back issue. They might not love moving into flexion or extension at the moment. Your options could be, okay, I could give them a Jefferson curl type of movement or like a roll down type of movement where they move from flexion to extension. But that 
I wouldn't consider that I can't lose movement. I would consider lying on my back and doing some pelvic tilts like we have in core or UBB or LBB or scissor slides. I would consider that I can't, let's say scissor slides and pelvic tilts. They can't lose movements for if someone comes in with hip issues, lower back issues, lateral hip, pelvic floor, all this stuff. They are definitely can't lose movements. Yes, someone could get flared up. It's very unlikely. I don't think it's happened. So I don't think it's happened to me. So I would consider having those either you film those yourself or you use the ones from my exercises, from my exercise library or the videos that you have from me. I would consider using those as can't lose movements. So you now don't probably need to coach them in clinic. You can send them afterwards and you just say, I want you to do these for 10, 15, 20 reps on each side every day just go nice and slow to begin with and then make the movement a little bit bigger if you start to feel comfortable can't lose with the neck i would say can't lose movements with the neck it's probably like a gentle neck rotation a neck car neck rotation literally draw a very small circle with your nose and then start to make that a little bit bigger i would consider that like a probably like a can't lose movement even more so than that i can't lose movement for the neck because that could potentially cause a flare-up it's unlikely but it could even more so would be like literally just lying on the floor and going from a tucked chin to an untucked chin and then rotating left and right we have on dj interactive we have a neck flicks and chill class where i go through super gentle reaches for the shoulder super gentle movements for the neck and the jaw so some of those would definitely be considered can't lose movements and that's why i have them like in lower body basics that's why the pelvic tilts the scissor slides stuff like that are there with the knee what are considered some probably can't lose movements tibial rotations hard to lose doing tibial rotations ticks a box they're not actually standing on it's open chain they're gently moving their tibia that's number one number two they will struggle with it and be challenged by it and will actually start to learn it that's number two so like they will actually get some movement that they don't have access to or at least yeah they will grease up the joint so can't lose in that way number three it's hard to get it wrong it's hard to get it wrong and number four like it's hard to not feel it you will start to feel your shin moving around so it's hard to not feel it whereas if you try and maybe coach a hinge you didn't get time to coach a hinge and you feel like this client is not someone that's particularly aware or there's a hair on my microphone did i get it i think so they're not particularly aware then maybe not maybe the hinge is not the way to go it doesn't mean you should never coach it doesn't mean oh i'm not coaching this because it's not too hard it's just that i didn't have time in this session to coach it so maybe i will go with some other exercises instead of that so that's i think that's my answer is have some go-to movements and have your have an little exercise library have 20 exercises now don't fall into the trap of doing this all of the time because this is what a lot of therapists do they fall into the trap of just having these go-to movements these can't lose movements or they think they're can't lose like an example of not a can't lose movement is, okay, they have pain between their shoulder blades. I'm going to give them band pull aparts. That is not a can't lose movement. A lot of people need to get some space back in there. That's not a can't lose movement. A tibial rotation is a can't lose movement because you're not actually like contracting an area very hard like you would be with a band pull apart. You're literally just getting a joint and moving it. So a lot of can't lose movements are literally just going to the joint and getting that moving hard to go wrong hard to overload it hard to mess it up 
and hard to not feel it as well you start to feel the joint moving and very safe so that was that is what i would say for those anything else that other question no i won't i'll leave that for now so yeah i hope that was helpful with regards to just make sure you're following the podcast as well if you watch it on youtube actually i would love if you went to youtube and click subscribe that would be great that'd be really helpful if you're not already that would be good and the podcast is on youtube as well if you want to watch sometimes that's up to you i prefer listening on audio to be honest i'm not a big youtube guy but we have some good stuff on our youtube that you might be interested in so make sure you click subscribe there and if you listen on like podcast or apple make sure you click follow that does make a really big difference and you'll be notified immediately when you get when a new episode drops and that's really cool like the podcast that i do listening to that is very helpful for me i just get a little ping and the podcast is there and that's a I find that very helpful. It's not just me asking you to do that. I find that really helpful. So I would love if you did, that would be really good. Click five stars while you're there. But more importantly, just make sure you're following, you're subscribed. And and yeah, workshop wise, uh, yeah, we have one, we have Montreal for sale at the moment. Every other workshop that we're going to soon are all sold out except for montreal so go and buy a ticket for montreal i think there might be one ticket actually left for dublin may not be still there but that's our last irish workshop of the year so have a look on the website maybe dublin is still available but definitely there'll be at least three or four tickets left for montreal in june i think it is so jump on to those tickets if you're interested in coming along that would be cool i'm looking forward to going to canada we're going to vancouver that's sold out and then there's a few left for montreal vontreal we're going there with greg stern so i can't wait for that one so jump on that and apart from that i hope you enjoyed the episode let me know what sports you think would be good hopefully like that was a somewhat beneficial chat to even just think about the different types of qualities that will be developed in different ways and uh, yeah i'll chat to you guys next week take care Hey guys, David here. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. It would be so helpful if you could give it a share for us. That's how our podcast grows. That's how we can continue to get on great guests and have great conversations that I enjoy. It's very, it is a selfish thing. Obviously, I really enjoy them, but hopefully you enjoy them as well. And I want to have continue have to have great conversations like that. I just wanted to give you one more little reminder to check out our Foot and Achilles program. Um, it is the best program on the market in terms of learning, learning drills, learning theory, learning concepts, learning progressions of how you progress yourself or your clients all the way through the phases in a safe, smart, logical, most importantly, a logical manner. And a fun manner, the way you actually enjoy training. Okay, so check out the Foot and Achilles program. The link is in the show notes. And apart from that, hope you enjoyed the episode. And I'll talk to you guys next week.